Well, good morning. It's uh, really great to be here with you. Uh, it's kind of a, an interesting situation that we find ourselves in. I'm sure this feels a little weird for you. Don't worry. It feels a little weird for me, too. Uh, but uh, I'm thankful that we can take this opportunity and, and we have the, the space and the technology to, to do something amazing like this. And so uh, I hope this morning that, uh, that as you've worshipped and and as we go to God's word, that you and your family would feel blessed and would have a real connection with God. I feel like uh, the message I want to share with you this morning, God put on my heart um, this idea of, of being made to worship. And, and I think it's a significant thing to talk about, uh, and especially at this time, you know, I imagine there's a lot of messages going on this morning online uh, talking about the COVID virus and, and all of the, the different situations and, and what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what it means to, to have a relationship with God when all these things are going on. And, and I, I guess in my own way, I kind of want to talk about that with you as well. But this idea of worship, I think, is a significant one when we talk about what our relationship with God is supposed to look like. At this time, you know, being in isolation, uh, I don't know about you, but for me, I've found uh, a slight reorganization of some of my priorities. Um, what's my purpose? You know, I, I, if I can't function the way in which that I have been able to function, then, then well, what, what, what am I? What am I supposed to do? What is that supposed to look like? What, what, how will I know if I'm succeeding? Uh, and maybe right now the bar is set at survival, and, and that's a pretty good uh, way of looking at success, but, but is that satisfying? Is that really what I think this is all about? You know, if we look at this time as an opportunity to distill down all of the, the, the meaningless activities, you know, the, the, the pointless distractions, uh, and even some of the, the deadweight relationships in our lives, uh, what are we left with? What are we left with? At the same time, being segregated and isolated without any of our typical distractions, I wonder, what have you been thinking about in these stressful times? In, in, the, in the tumultuous amount of information that it's like drinking from a fire hydrant that's coming at you on a regular basis, you know, what, what does this leave you thinking about in the quiet moments? I don't know about you, but for me, I've been thinking about why and, and what's the meaning of all this and, and what is the purpose? In this time when the world hold its, holds its breath, are you filled with fear or are you filled with peace? And it's easy to understand that we fear what we don't know. And a difficult thing to understand, and, and if you don't know this, that if you know God, though, then you find that there is nothing in this world that you need to fear. So what does all this have to do with worship? I want to share with you a couple passages. Uh, well, the first one's from the Old Testament found in Jeremiah. <clears throat> chapter 2, verses 4 to 13. It says, Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord. What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went from far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? 
They did not say, where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through where no man dwells. And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in and defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination, the priest did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handle the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. Therefore, I still contend with you, declares the Lord. With your children's children, I will contend. For, for cross to the coast of Cyprus and sea, or send to Kedar and examine with care. See if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. I just want to draw your attention in two parts. In the first uh, verse there, first verse five, it says, What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? It's an interesting idea to think that you are what you pursue that what you uh, surround yourself with, what you ingest, what you invest in your life, that is what you become. And, and, and the crazy thing is, is that uh, your best efforts at trying to be one thing might not prevent you from becoming the very thing that you fear or hate. And that last verse there, in verse 13, uh, God says that my people have committed two evils. The first is that they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. And the second is that they hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So the first evil that they have done is to ignore God. And the second evil they have done is replaced God with themselves. A similar passage in, in Romans chapter 1 it says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his internal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. What does it mean to worship? Uh, dictionary search will show you that uh, the noun worship means to have reverent honor and homage paid to God or a sacred parsonage or to any object regarded as sacred. And maybe, uh, maybe you would say that you worship God and, and your understanding of that is, is what you do on a Sunday morning. 
But do you honor God through the whole week? If we were to define what we worship by our bank accounts, would you agree with the result you might find therein? I have a, a kind of a really simple uh, explanation of what I think worship is. To know God for who he is. To know what he has done for me. To know what he is doing for me. And to know what he will do. But it comes down to this relationship of knowing who he is. And, and to know something on a level that often can transcend articulation, explanation, that if I know it so deeply in my soul who God is, how do you get to a place where you can know something like that? Your best friend, how do you know them? Your wife or your husband, how do you know them? Your children, how can you know them? How can you know God? And this last idea I'd like to kind of <clears throat> use to frame uh, the message is, is that worship is connected to your life's purpose. And that I would say that your life's purpose is to worship. Nature abhors a vacuum. If you are made to worship, then you will find something to worship. but not all worship is created equal. And I think that what we see in scripture and what we're gonna take a look at in John chapter four is an understanding that actually worship, when done appropriately, when in fulfillment of the purpose of its creation, it actually brings life. And that it's always intended, been intended to bring life. So in John chapter four, if you want, uh, turn in your Bibles or whatever electronic device you're using. Uh, look it up. I'm reading out of the ESV. So uh, if you'd like, please follow along. It says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. He had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink? a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I, may, I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. 
Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for. Salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him and God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. It's a fairly famous passage that uh, I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, it's one of my favorites, uh, especially in the book of John. I just want to look at the, the conversation and the different perspectives that, that are being brought and some of the themes uh, that are being highlighted here uh, Oftentimes we look at this passage and um, it's easy to, to talk about a lot of different things about who Jesus is and what his teaching is, but, but really I think this passage is about worship and, and, and coming into relationship with God. And first off, uh, the woman, she asks this question, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink, uh, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? You know, it, it, She's incredulous that Jesus would actually talk to her for a few reasons. The first being that she's a woman. Jesus reaching across gender boundaries to talk to this woman, to connect with her. But more than that, he's a Jew and she's a Samaritan. And, and Jews would not deal with Samaritans because in so doing, they would become unclean. They avoided them at all costs. It's a kind of relationship where when you see that person, you, you cross the street so you don't have to even make eye contact with them. And you make it look like you did it, you know, because you wanted to, not because they were coming down the street. You don't even want to give them the, the satisfaction of knowing that you acknowledge their presence by getting out of their way. Why is it that you would ask me for a drink? This question of holiness uh, when we think about worship, you know, what, what do we think about? Oftentimes we think about um, the way something looks or the way it's perceived. We think about quality, uh, maybe purity. And I, I think that these are good ideas to connect and understand when we're talking about worship because if you're going to be in connection with the holy, pure, and, and uh, other than God, then, then you also need to share those qualities. I really believe that holiness and worship are about moving in relationship with God. That as I come into closer and deeper relationship with God, that I am being made more and more in, in the image of Christ and and as I step out of relationship and, and harden myself and move away from God, 
that I am giving myself over to uh, my broken nature. Jesus' response uh, to her, I'm just, uh, I find really amazing. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. I I love this because there's this interesting uh, uh, comparison that's being made. You know, first off, Jesus is the one who like, he started all of it. He instigated He's the one who came up to the woman and said, give me some water. She's incredulous about it. But then he says, like, if you knew who was asking you, you would be asking him. I love the comparison of water. Jesus asks for her normal, boring, useless water in a sense, uh, 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 finite water. And he offers in return living water. He says, give me what you have, and if you know who I am, I'll give you what I have. In this, it's God who's making the connection, and yet the woman is, is a willing participant. She's, she's not being forced. She's, she's being courted. Jesus asks for her earthly water and promises in return living water. I, I look at this, this theme of water, this picture, and I, I can't help but think that there's something about a life that's trying to be expressed. When we say living water, you know, what, what kind of idea does that conjure in your minds except that, that when we're in connection with Christ, when, when we have Jesus, there is something that wells up within us that, that is what it means to live, that that is, that is the way we were meant to be, that is the fulfillment of our purpose. And without him, all we have is water that will leave us thirsty. I connect this to this idea of worship, and, and if we're made to worship, we're made to worship something specific. If you're made, then you are made with a purpose. You were made to worship God, and if you worship anything else, you will find yourself thirsty, unsatisfied. But when you worship what you were meant to worship, you'll find yourself a wellspring, something that can satisfy even those around you with what comes from your relationship with God. I love the way in which... In verse, uh, in, in the next part, it says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That there's something about the living water that God gives us. There's something about being in relationship with God that actually transforms what's already in us. It makes it new into something else and that it, it, this upgrade now becomes something that, that can, can help those around us. It's kind of an odd line of thinking to consider and it's something that I've been thinking about a lot in this time when we find ourselves segregated, when we have this <laughs> social distancing that, that we're all trying to adhere to. How can we help other people? You know, the, the memes and the, 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 the jokes about thoughts and prayers going out, um, they seem a little bit more poignant at this time. Because I, I don't know about you, but maybe uh, you feel a little more helpless 
like I do? How can I really help someone? How can I really encourage someone from behind a screen? If I'm going to worship God, then I need, I need honesty. I once uh, had an interesting conversation with a friend. Um, he wasn't a believer and, and was fairly skeptical of, of most things religious. And so a lot of our conversations usually had a philosophical bent to them. And I remember kind of just challenging him one time and just saying, well, why don't you go home and pray as if God is real? And see what he says to you. And, and I had uh, no idea what was going to come out of the conversation. I didn't, I didn't know what, uh, what kind of response he was going to get. I was, all, um, I was all nervous with anticipation the next day and seeing him and, and what kind of response. I was afraid that, that he was just going to say, oh, you know, I, I tried it, but it was stupid. And, uh, or, or maybe he just, you know, didn't even care to try but the response I got back from him was really interesting. He, he said that, you know, I, I did it last night. I, I prayed to God, and I found it amazingly freeing. And I said, well, that's interesting. Why, why would you say that? He said, I, I realize there's no point to lie. And so I, I just, I was very honest, and, and, and I spoke truthfully to him from my heart. I said, huh, well, did he say anything? No, I didn't really get anything else out of it except for that. And it's kind of where the conversation ended, but it was interesting to me the value that even someone who doesn't believe in a higher being, that the power of truth had in their life. When we connect that power of truth to our purpose of worship, I think it begins to take on a transcendent potential. So Jesus says to this woman, go, call your husband and come here. See, uh, I think the reason why we act in church um, in a way that maybe doesn't communicate where we're actually at, the status of our hearts, the, the stuff that we're dealing with is because we understand that worship is supposed to be something that is done in holiness, in, in purity, that it's, that it's right. And so to... to exemplify that we we dress nice and we do our best and we give our best performance we we work hard and and it's this whole presentation As the reality is when we uh when we come to worship god on sunday or or whenever it is that we come to worship god if if we've been worshiping something else the rest of the week then it it really kind of undermines that worship on sunday so he says to this woman, go call your husband and come here. And she says, I don't have a husband. Because she, she's had five and the guy she's with now isn't her husband. I, I, I don't know how to categorize exactly what she's worshiping, but there's something that this woman has done or um, the situation that she's found herself in, the choices that she's made where she finds herself being defined by the amount of relationships that she's had. And, and when we look into the context of this meeting, we understand that the sixth hour, so the, the time when Jesus actually sat at the well and met with this woman, it's lunchtime, 12 o'clock, in the heat of the day. I don't know about you, but that's not the time that I want to be carrying gallons and gallons of water. So this idea of truth is so significant when we connect it to worship because uh, we, we've, 
truth matters. When, when, we, when we say something, uh, when we live something and, and we try and act something different, that inconsistency, it tears us apart. And whether or not you, you believe in God or, or you, uh, you, you go to church, truth is, is important in everyone's life. And, and we all feel that. We all feel it when um, we're being false. And, and there's something about falseness that undermines who we are and, and begins to actually shake us apart and it shakes our lives apart. I'm sure you've found yourself in a situation where you've told a lie and, and you find yourself telling more and more lies until it all begins to unravel and, and you're left in a space, probably empty-handed, broken and hurt, wondering, how did I get here? Well, you got there when you departed from truth. So Jesus says to this woman that he meets at the well, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Jesus has come into this woman's life and, and, and offered her living water. And she's reckoned, she says, I want this living water. I don't want to be thirsty anymore. I don't want to have to come to this well. I find that to be a really interesting statement for her to make because when we look at the context, we understand that she was at that well not just because that was her favorite time, but because of choices that she had made that the choices that she had made in life had led her to a place of isolation, social isolation, cultural isolation. She had had five husbands, and it's, it's not clear whether or not this was about prostitution or adultery. Maybe she was a widower. Uh, who knows? But the reality is, is that Her life choices had led her through multiple relationships and into a place where she avoided connecting with other people, probably because of those choices. And Jesus says, like, if you want this living water, which I want to give to you, we we have to address this. We have to bring this out into the light. That, that the inconsistency of the way in which you're living your life now and the purpose which which you were called to to actually be a vessel of living water, a wellspring of living water, that there needs to be congruence in your life with that. I've heard many people talk about this passage and they look at uh, her response in verse 19 where she says, sir, I perceive you as a prophet as her trying to kind of like awkwardly change the subject. You know, huh, I see you're a prophet. And she, she moves on to this conversation about worship. She says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But I think this whole conversation has been about worship and, and that this woman in the beginning did not, understand the implications of what Jesus was talking about. But it didn't take her long to catch on. That this, this promise of living water, this, this, 
this adherence to the truth, this perception of the truth that Jesus had, uh, uh, a supernatural perception of the truth, a prophetic, should recognize that this is about connecting with God, connecting with her purpose, what she was made to do. I don't think she went to the well at lunchtime in that heat thinking this is what I was meant for. Jesus, uh, he tells her that the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. This is, uh, I find this to be such profound uh, few verses um, and there's so much depth to it. I, I really feel like you could just dwell here for a long time and, and consider the implications uh, how this shapes and forms your understanding and relationship to God. In 23, it begins with the hour is coming and is now here. The hour of worship is now and it's also coming. That there's something going on in this present moment. My understanding of who I am before God and who God is, that in this space where we are right now, God is doing something. And yet that is also in anticipation of what God is going to do and, and what we look forward to. That there is a hope that we have. That when we see the presence of living water in our lives, it's an indication of what's more to come. I don't know about you, but that kind of excites me. And it says, when the true worshipers will worship the Father. There's a lot of worshipers. Not all of them are true. Not all of them worship on Sunday the way that they worship on Monday. Friday night, when no one's watching. The true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Jesus was the one who instigated the conversation. It's God who's seeking us. But are we willing? Are we willing to step into the truth? Are we willing to, to wrestle with the implications? I find this time to be so interesting, land precedented in that we're being forced to. There's no sports. Theaters are closed. All kinds of recreation activities are shut down and limited. I think God is going to use this as an opportunity to try and connect with people, to try and connect with you and me. Verse 24 says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. I think this talks about uh, some of the components of worship. That there's a component of worship that I have no control over. That there's something about the role of God when I worship that, that, that changes the atmosphere, it changes all of it. It's why when we worship, we invite God's presence and we want him to be here. We want him to participate because it's about this relationship that we have with him. And in that connection, it, it lifts us, it unifies us, it, it brings us together in a way that is supernatural. 
that, that no human can, can mimic. Oh, and I know that there's a lot of people who have a lot of different ways of, of coming close, but there is nothing like experiencing the God of the universe, especially when you're doing the thing that he created you to do. But there's, there is this thing that we can do that, that we need to participate in, and it's this idea of truth. Are we being honest? It's so funny. Will it take everyone being separated to start being honest? That, that we're segregated with the people who are closest in our lives. And, and, and oftentimes, the people that we can be the most dishonest with. One of the hardest passages I find in Scripture is actually in the, in the previous chapter, in chapter 3, verses uh, 19 to 21. This is a judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. And Don't worry. Watch out the lights. Okay, I'm almost done. See your dad's phone. Yeah. Darn it, Pastor. Have you no reverence for the things of the Lord? I was, uh, I was, uh, I was, and how you like the flow. Talk, let's talk about flow. Well, Killing honestly, it. Brian, uh, why do I keep calling you? It's because he called you Brian. Does he call you Brian sometimes? He's got a thick Italian accent. I don't know if you've noticed it before, but, uh, Listen, Brian, um, no, the flow is perfect, man. Honestly, keep it up. Just, uh, I'm just letting you know you're at the 30 minute mark. You said 35. Yeah, 10 minutes here, 22 before. Yeah, I'm almost done. Uh, you know, <laughs> I can appreciate that. Seriously, I got a meme for that too. Okay. Oh, dang. So where did I uh, stop off? I kind of want to start over at, um, uh, if I start reading from the scripture, is that a, do you think that's an okay place to kind of splice in? Sure. Sure. Don't give me. take it exactly from where the rink was. You were in the flow. I feel like throwing up. Is that okay? Yeah, you definitely can go throw up. Um, Unrelated to what you're doing. This is a judgment. Well, how, do you got a cough? What have you been eating? Are you just still eating that? For everyone who's... Yeah, take it from the, the scripture. Okay. It says, and this is a judgment... The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. I find this to be one of the hardest scriptures to read because if I want to read it with authenticity, if I want to read it uh, and mean it, then I got to let the light of Christ into my life. And the reality is that there's things, evil things that I do that I would love to keep in darkness. 
and that the choices that I make and the, the things that I worship, I want to keep in the darkness. But God's unwilling to let that be. That he doesn't want that for me. That he doesn't want me to live outside of my purpose. That he doesn't want me to be unsatisfied with the water that only I can provide. But that he shines his light into my life. That he's the one who instigates the conversation. And he does it in grace. And he's love. But he does it. And he's unwilling to accept anything less. And so... If we want to worship God, if we want to actually fulfill our purpose, live in the way in which we were created to live, then we have to allow the light of God to come into our lives, to allow his son to define us, to have a word about us, to speak to us truth, to ask us the questions like, go get your husband. He knows exactly what to ask because he knows what you're trying to hide. There's no use lying to him. Last couple verses, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. God is revealed that when we come into a place where our purpose is, is, is being fulfilled, where, we're, where all the parts are falling into place and, and, and there's a sweet spot and, and, it's just, and it's just right and it's this moment, it doesn't reflect us, it reflects God. And the amazing thing is, is that if worship is not just on Sunday morning, that if I can live my life as a worshipful being, that I was actually created to do so, that I can reflect God wherever I am and in whatever situation I find myself. I'm excited about the opportunity we have before us. And that's a messed up thing to say. I'm not saying that, that I want a pandemic, that I want the pain and suffering that people are going through, that, that, that we're only beginning to experience and, and you know, the, the, the weird feeling of not knowing what comes next. That's not what I want. But I'm not afraid of that. I'm not afraid because I know I know someone who sees perfectly, who sees the truth and knows. And if I have a relationship with him, then what will come out of my life will sustain me. That I will become a wellspring of living water. And, and if I let people into my life and they'll get a taste of him into that process that God is doing in me, in my heart, that they'll get a taste of him too. And, and he will be revealed and we will have his glory. So what? You were made to worship. You will worship something. But there's only one thing you were meant to worship. Everything else will just destroy you. 
Life-giving worship is found in truth and in spirit. Life-giving worship only happens in relationship with God and it has to be in the light. It cannot be in darkness. And the last thing I want to leave you with is that Jesus is the one who's instigating this. He's the one who's knocking on the doors of your heart. Let him in. See what he has to say. It won't be the easiest processed, but it will be the most worthwhile. There's nothing more satisfying than living water. Let's pray. Father, we just we come before you and we recognize your sovereignty over all these situations. Lord, that there's nothing that um, can impede you. God, we, uh, we wrestle with uh, the events that we're faced with and we wonder where you are in these moments. So God, I pray and ask that your presence will be felt. That people would see you in action. God, I pray that, that you would hear our prayers. I, I pray that all these things would work together and glorify you. Lord, I pray that you'd keep us safe, remind us that in you, and that you would remind us of your great love for us. I pray that you would remind us that in you we are all one, and that we are together. I pray these things in your name, Jesus, and for your sake. Amen.